two weeks from today, we're going to have an, an awesome Sunday. Every Sunday is awesome at Marshall Bowman, but two Sundays from now, we're going to share in our food truck fest, and we're going to have a combined service. The traditional folks are going to join us over here. We're going to have a packed house, but we'll have plenty of seats. And so here's an opportunity for you to say, hey, come have lunch with us. We're having a food truck fest, and we'd love for you to worship with us. In fact, let's go together, or I'll meet you in worship at 11 o'clock here in the Commons. And so use this as an opportunity to reach out to folks as we are in ministry together. Well, we've been in a series, and it's, it's been awesome, entitled Stretched. And it's been our prayer that for you, you've come to realize that we're aware, and that we're all in this together, that there are those moments where we all feel financially stressed. Have you ever had a financially stressful season in your life? Yes? Okay, we all have. And so you're not alone. No one of us is exempt from being financially stressed from time to time or stretched, if you would. But there's another piece to this, and that is that we believe that this series has stretched us in a very good way that we've had to stretch our thinking. We've had to stretch our understanding of what God can do. Uh, God-sized visions are much bigger than our visions. And so we've had to look at, well, God, you said to step out in faith, and that has stretched us. And so we pray that you'll continue to be stretched as we move through this series. Today, specifically, next week, we're going to uh, be looking at All Saints Day and and the fact that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, a great crowd of witnesses, those who've gone before us into the heavenly places with Christ, those that are still a part of that crowd. We'll be talking about that next week. But as part of next Sunday, we're going to turn in a commitment card, an estimate of giving, a pledge of faith. And I want you to see it as a joyful thing as we seek to underwrite our ministries for Jesus Christ in 2017. Well, we continue in this series entitled Stretched, and last week hanged to very clearly the spiritual discipline of tithing. And, and in that biblical concept, it is an act of obedience, but oh, we are the recipients of the blessing. And so we want to encourage you to be a, a tithing family, a tithing church. And if you're not there, Take steps graciously toward that, because you will be the beneficiary. And then two weeks ago, Fran addressed spending. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, but really living. Uh, God has provided for us currency, and I want to talk about that. And the word currency means something that's always moving. Do you feel like that with money? It kind of gets away from us, doesn't it? And, and so currency is a good if you would, image for us, a good word, when it comes to spending. And one of the things in the economy of God is really a principle for us. And it's not original with me, but Delia and I have tried uh, really in the second half of our marriage to, to really implement this. And I want to encourage you that if you will implement this principle early in your marriage, early in your financial life, God will prosper you and give you great peace. 
And that principle is the 10-10-80 principle. And, and basically it's this, that we give the first 10% to the work of Christ. We bring our first fruits. We call it a tithe, and we've spoken to that. And then we talk about living off of 80. Now we know the IRS, IRS and, and the Internal Revenue Service and the Georgia State tax system is all part of that 80, but we live off of the 80 for substance and life. And God has provided that for us, for our delight and for our success. But there's another piece to this, and it's the other 10 in the 10, 10, 80, and that is saving. John Wesley, the father of this movement, said this, earn all you can, save all you can. Give all you can. Earn all you can. It is a good thing to be ambitious. It is a good thing to thrive in the workplace. It is okay to accumulate more. Hear me on that. He said, earn all you can, but save all you can so that you will be in a position to give. All of you can, all you can. What's interesting is right after his graduate school, he lived on about 28 pounds. Okay, and in that day and time, it wasn't a whole lot, but it was enough means to allow him to survive. Later in his life, his annual salary was more like 125 pounds. But somehow, John Wesley continued to live on 28 pounds. And when he died, there were six pallbearers or burial people that dug his grave. And he knew them. And he had already done his prearrangement. And with that, he had it set up where each of them, he only had six pounds, he had given it all away, each one of them received one pound in the parting of his life. And he wrote a message saying, thank you. So he died without a dime or a pound. But oh, what kind of life he lived. Well, you know, we think of John Wesley as set back in history, but that same kind of lifestyle can be a reality for us today. And so as we take a look at this 10-10-80 principle, I really believe that like John Wesley, we can be better stewards. In fact, Jesus addresses stewardship. Money is one of the most talked about things in the writings of the New Testament and in the words of Jesus. And we have the parable of the talents. And oftentimes, when with a parable, there is a surface story. But there are sub-messages under the parable. There is always power in story. I love storytelling because oftentimes when you hear a story, when you hear the words once upon a time, automatically you cue in, don't you? And in stories are characters, and what we find is that is God's creative way of drawing near to us and teaching us. And Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25 
about a master investor who goes, a very wealthy man, to three servants. And to the first he says, here are five bags of gold. Now you can put whatever number you want on that. 500,000 in today's dollars. And then he went to the second one and said, here are two bags of gold, and to the third, I give you one. Now, it's interesting. It says in the scripture that he gave to each according to his ability, and that is lived out, and you see that. And he says, I will leave this place, and I will be on a journey, and when I return, I want to see what you have done with my investments. When I return, I want to know what the return is on these investments. And so he returns. And the first one says, I took your five bags of gold. And things were favorable for me. And I took some good advice and I invested it. And I have twice that now. Ten bags of gold. And to the second one, he said, and you? Well, I too doubled what you first gave me. And he said to those, well done, good and faithful servant. You have made your master happy. To the third, he said, I know that you're a man. That third one said to him, I know that you are a master that is able to harvest where you have not sown. You are able to do incredible things. And I was afraid that I would not be able to do anything incredible. And so what I did is I simply sat on it. I, I buried it. I did nothing with it. And this is what I have to show for it. Now, I really believe, now Jesus was deity, and I believe he was the perfect human being. And I'm not sure that the Bible should be altered or his words. But if he lived in this day and time, I wonder if that third one would have been recorded. I actually took this and spent more than this and the gold you gave me was repossessed. <laughs> and so he uses that imagery for the kingdom of God. He, you can take interpretations in terms of our talents and our giftedness. But I think financially there's much to be said about that parable. Because it has to do with that one 10% that we often move down the list of our priorities. And so let's talk about how we can get there. But one of the ways we have to get there, one of the ways that we begin spending is when we move away from what I call bad debt. Now, is there good debt? Well, in the marketplace, we could argue Maybe so. But I want to suggest to you as a consumer, more importantly as a disciple of Christ, it is so dangerous. Uh, for example, reverse equity. I'm going to share a story with you related to Delia and me. It was several years ago, but we had bought a van. And that van, well, we liked it. And we sure found the smell intoxicating when it was new. And we were making payments on that van. But more and more, there became some safety issues. And we felt like, well, it's just not as reliable. Well, we still owed 
money on that thing. In fact, we were what they call upside down. Do you know what that is? That's where you owe more than the vehicle's worth. And so in our poor stewardship, we made another poor stewardship decision, and we really liked another van. And it was new, but this one had side airbags. And this one had a number of features that the other one didn't. And surely we don't want to put our babies in an unreliable vehicle. So let's don't maintain this one. Let's take the note that we owe. And the car dealer loved it. He said, I tell you what, we'll take what you owe on this vehicle and roll it into your new loan. And so we ended up buying a vehicle, brand new, which I'm not sure was wise because of the markup. And then we rolled that reverse equity into the new vehicle, which created more reverse equity. And we were paying this much in interest and that much in principal. Remember that? not a great confession, is it? And I was a partner with you in that. So I've got to take part of the blame. But the sad part, I mean, we had enough to make the payments, but it constricted us in what we could have done. It prevented us from being really generous. We thought we were generous. It prevented us from being extravagant toward the needs of others. Because we thought we needed it. We could not respond to the needs of others like we could have. Credit card debt. And I, I just want us to think about shifting our paradigm, okay? We can't really be savers until, well, I take that back. We can start at any place. But we're better savers if we eliminate consumer debt. And one of the things in consumer debt, specifically credit cards, is you don't have a lot to show for it. I mean, think about it. Think about the things that you put on credit cards. Most often it's food. Secondly, it's probably clothing that Goodwill is going to end up. By the way, Goodwill has great stuff. Some of your best stuff. And, and, and then some things that are disposable and consumable. And one woman I know in a church where I served on St. Simon's Island, a very affluent area, she had $40,000 in credit card debt. 40000 and I went to a banker to try to help her to be a good pastor. She happened to be on staff. And it wasn't that we weren't paying her enough. And so I went to a banker and I said, what can we do? And he said, well, Tim, unfortunately, that's unsecured debt. And she has what a lot of people have with credit card debt, nothing to show for it. That's why currency is so important because God provides a current of resources and he has encouraged us to be stewards to channel the banks and to steer it in good and holy and productive ways. 
And so you buy a TV on credit. And what is the average interest rate on credit cards? Now, you may brag and say, oh, but I got 60 days or six months savings cash. Well, it's all coming. If you don't pay it off in time, that interest is going to be tacked on the end. The average interest rate on a credit card for most Americans that are using credit cards today is 15% on a revolving account. And so let's say you buy a $1,000 TV. I like TVs. I believe God's people can have a TV. I really do. We've got a couple of them. It's great. But at 15%, if you were to pay the minimum payment, now you say, that's crazy. It happens all the time. You end up paying $1,534 or so. I don't have my exact. $1,580. On a $1,000 purchase over a five year, your TV is obsolete. We've now moved to flat screens and 4Ks. Are you, are you seeing the average credit card debt in America for a household? Now, this was surprisingly low. <laughs> There's a line here. Haynes does not want me to cross over this. It's a little obsessive, but I'm going to go with his recommendation, okay? <laughs> the spirit's not here, but the spirit's here. <laughs> All right. But think about that a minute. Think about that. The average household has about five grand in credit card debt. At 15% interest, think about what that could go towards. I want us to make a shift. If we could make a paradigm shift, if we could begin to have delayed gratification. Oh, that's so hard. That doesn't feel good. But it would feel better if I could exercise it later. They did a study. This study was shown, and I don't know how they tracked it exactly. But in the tracking of it, they showed that a child could have one piece of candy. Each child could have one piece of candy. But if that child waited, another day they could have two. If they refrained from taking that piece of candy and waited two days, they could have two. They found out that as these children grew a decade plus in years, the ones who waited were always far better with their money because they had delayed gratification. They had self-control. That is a fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? Self-control. And in a consumer world that we live in, in a free market, which I'm all for, there is a culture of you don't only want this, you need it when it may not be a need. And so what happens... is the buyer becomes a slave to the object. The scripture says the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. 
And I don't want anybody to have a hand on my wallet except God and me. And so I really believe that there is prosperity when we begin to, to think in terms of layaway. You remember that concept of layaway? Some of our parents used this and grandparents where if there was something they wanted to buy, they would have it on layaway. That means that they would just wait until they had the money and then when they had the money, they would lay claims to it with the money they had already put down. And so they owed nothing. It was not released until they had paid in full. And here's the awesome beauty of that is at the layaway acquisition, at the claiming of that item, it's brand new. But if I buy a TV that's $1,000 and I pay minimum payments, for five years, it's old when it's paid for. Do you see that? And so if we could shift from poorly paying out in debt to beginning to save. So take those trends that will spiral us down relationally and emotionally and spiritually and begin to move in trends where I believe God wants to prosper us. Think about this a minute. In saving, in the concept of compounding interest. David, if we could have that chart. Haynes is one who saves, and I'm one who saves. And this is not real clear, I know, on the screen, but I think it proves a point. Now, Haynes, we all like Haynes, don't we? He wears those really cool vests. But what's even better about Haynes is he decided early on that he would commit himself to the spiritual discipline of tithing and saving, saving 10%. And so he decided he was going to invest $2,000 at age 19 until age 30, every year $2,000, and he found a good mutual fund. Okay, word problem. He found a good mutual fund, and so he invested $24,000 over 12 years until he was age 30, starting at age 19. Now, Tim's having a good time. Tim buys everything he wants. Tim says, let's have at it. I want this, that, and the other, and so I'm not going to really save. I'm going to let my savings be discretionary spending, and so I wait, and I've been watching Haynes. Haynes and I are good friends. He decides he's going to stop at 30. He's invested 24000 uh, The return on his mutual fund, the stock market, since the Great Depression has averaged 7%. So let's go low at 6%. He's decided he's going to invest in a mutual fund that's going to give him a return. At age 30, I'm thinking, you know, I'm late in the game. I've got to do something here. And so I'm going to start doing what Haynes just quit doing. All right? And so for every year till age 65, I invest 2000 a year, 72000 total, 
Let's go back to that graph if we can. And let's see how it turns out. Haynes quit at age 30. His interest continued to accrue. And he ended up at 65 with 275000 Tim, on the other hand, started at age 30, invested 72002 every year, and ended up with a quarter of a million dollars. It's not when you get in, it's how early you begin. And I want to say to our younger folks, do something we've not been good at in my generation. Start early. Start early. We've got financial investors in this church. They can help open up an account. And I want to say a challenge to some of our parents. And here it is. What if your kid said, hey, I want to do that 2000 And they raise one and you match them. That'd be two grand. Here's the great news. They might take care of you in your old age. <laughs> because they can actually fund it. Now, I know what's going to happen with Delia. The kids are going to be like, we're moving mom in with me. No, we're moving mom in with me. Dad's going to the nursing home. <laughs> and so I want them to have a little money to spend toward the nursing home. And so, gang, the idea that God can use a little and multiply it. Now, here you may say, you know what, Tim, a couple of things. I'm not sure I'm in a position to do $2,000 a year. That's not a whole lot. When you look at annual salaries in America, just start somewhere. Start somewhere. Take advantage. Let the money that God has provided for you, that you've worked hard for, work for you. And so we've talked about what it means to be stretched, and we know we all have been stretched. And I believe God uses those times for us to become even more dependent on the Lord. As we've heard songs like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that we sang today. And all of these things will be added unto you. God will provide. It says that he will provide according to his riches and glory. And his riches are great. So if we will position ourselves, God will prosper us. If we will position ourselves with the 10-10-80 rule, God will give us peace. John Ortberg tells about how his grandmother taught him a lot about monopoly. He would go to her house ever so often, seasonally, and they would play the game monopoly. And she would whip his tail. I mean, he would be bankrupt every time. She had all the hotels. She had all the houses. He had nothing left. And he thought, I am going to beat her. I'm going to win at this game. And so he spent all summer 
playing with his friend in a game of Monopoly just about every day. And he kind of got some of the principles down. And he said, I went back to my, my grandmother's house after being away, and I sent her into financial ruin. He said, I had so many houses and so many hotels, and she was paying me out at the railway station. I mean, it was incredible, and she had nothing left. But she taught me so much at that moment because she said, okay, you won. It all goes back in the box. And he goes, wait. Look at my hotels, man. Look at my houses. Look at the cash I've acquired. But it all goes back in the box. And so it's time to put it up. You've celebrated. Now put the hotels and houses and cash back in the box. And we're going to put it up. And he said, you know, it really all goes back in the box. In fact, when they bury us, it will be some kind of box that they will put us in. And so the question is, like the question that was presented to the three men in the story of the talents, what did we do with God and his provision while we were here? Will we not make a difference? Let's pray together.